Hello and welcome to Plot Twists. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing Lord Perfect by Loretta Chase. So this was published in 2006 and is number three in the Carsington Family series. And spoiler alert, dear listeners, we like this one as much as we like the first two. <laughs> Which is to say, this is one of our favorite series and I don't know how we haven't reviewed all of it before now. So let's uh, let's just jump right into the jacket. Ideal. The heir to the Earl of Hargate, Benedict Carsington, Viscount Rathborn, is the perfect aristocrat. Tall, dark, and handsome, he is known for his impeccable manners and good breeding. Benedict knows all the rules and has no trouble following them until she enters his life. Infamous. Bathsheba Wingate belongs to the rotten branch of the DeLucy family a notorious lot of liars, frauds, and swindlers. Small wonder her husband's highborn family disowned him. Now widowed, she's determined to give her daughter a stable life and a proper upbringing. Nothing and no one will disrupt Bathsheba's plans until he enters her life. Scandalous. Then Bathsheba's hoyden daughter lures Benedict's precocious nephew into a quest for legendary treasure. To recover the would-be knight's errant, Benedict and Bathsheba must embark on a rescue mission that puts them in dangerous, intimate proximity. A situation virtually guaranteed to end in mayhem, even scandal, if anyone else were involved. But Benedict is in perfect control of events. Perfect control, despite his mad desire to break all the rules. Perfect control, really? Yes. I mean, this is a very nice book, book jacket, in my opinion. I like it a lot. I, I think it hits all the high points. I, I think it doesn't spoil anything. Mm-hmm. Overall, great job representing the conflict and the vibe without being inaccurate or spoilery. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's... It, I guess if you didn't mention the fact that that they were out on a quest... Because the, the quest doesn't happen until a little bit into the book. But, like, within the first quarter. It's it not, does. It does. Yeah. It commences pretty early in the text. It does. It really does. And, I mean, th- that's the, the only thing I might change, but I probably wouldn't because I really like this book jacket a lot. If not for that you really don't have a reason to get them together. I guess you could put in his nephew and the need for art lessons, but frankly, I think that gets over-explaining about something pretty insignificant. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I don't know. I'm just, I feel like someone could say, oh, they spoiled a little bit of it, but I don't care. Whatever. (laughs) Also, ultimately, the will they, won't they is tied up fundamentally in who they are. Yeah. It's he's the perfect heir to a prestigious title, and she's the daughter of a scandalous family who's already seduced one aristocrat away from his responsibilities. Like, that's the whole conflict, and there's that's established in what page five? Like, it's I love it. I love there's no way it's, to spoil it's it. It's really good, it's so believable. That's the thing, is too. I've I feel like a lot of historical romances do kind of hinge on an unacceptable match. Right. Um, But in a lot of cases, it, I mean, it's overcome pretty quickly, 
and you don't really believe that that's what's keeping them apart. And in this case, you could really believe it. Yes. In my opinion. So. Yeah, no, I definitely didn't think the conflict was overwrought, partially because I think the conflict circumstances were believable, but also because of the talent of Loretta Chase, she wasn't writing it as this overwrought, overdramatic thing that made it seem bigger than it was. Exactly. Yeah. But okay, anyway, so. it's, <laughs> I love this book so much. I really like this book. So as usual, we wrote our own summaries, and this week's randomly generated number was 11. So Meg, what was your 11-word summary? Uh, I mean, uh, okay, here it is. What happens when England's paragon meets society's scandal? Too much compatibility. So you are referencing an excellent line in the book. Yes, uh, yes, I am. Okay. Yes, uh, what can I say? My 11-word summary. Familial burdens or true love? A scandalous road trip forces the issue. I mean, I, I think we really both basically, I, neither of us could really improve on this book jacket. No. Basically is what I'm saying, you know? So there are a lot of tropes in this book because it's Loretta Chase. And one of the things to point out is Loretta Chase likes to use not characters, but like books and archetypes from previous novels or from yeah. her canon. And so the dreadful DeLucys are a regular fixture in her books. They are. They are. And what I like about them, what I like about the dreadful DeLucys is that she manages, she manages to put them in a lot of different books, but it feels believable each time, basically because this family of course, manages to just procreate like rabbits, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's a big old family and only half of the branch is scandalous, which I find interesting. It's it's so much fun. But I, I believe that this is the book that they're introduced in, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. Okay, um, so then this is the origin of that particular Loretta Chase trope. Exactly. One of the series. Have we reviewed The Dressmakers on here? I think we, we haven't. Have. No. If you've read the Loretta Chase series, The Dressmakers, that entire series is about the dreadful Delucies. Yeah. Um, so what other tropes other than the Loretta Chase specific Delucy scandalous family are present in this text? Well, I think the big one for me is the road trip trope. Yes. So their respective wards go listening. Respective wards go missing. In her case, it's her daughter. And in his case, it's his nephew. Yes. And they decide they need to team up in order to track them down. But obviously, a woman and a man traveling together is scandalous. Yes. And on top of that, they don't want anyone in society to know that his nephew, who is a lordling, has gone missing. Mm -hmm. So they can't even call in assistance to make it more proper. So it's just the two of them and his one trusted footman. Yes. And, and not only that, like she's pretty infamous in that she's pretty recognizable. Mm -hmm. um, so this, this road trip is really very dangerous for them both. Yes. And they're both widowed. Uh-huh. So it's not scandalous in the sense of her virtue and he'll be forced to rush her to the altar. It's scandalous in that he has this pristine reputation. Being caught with her would ruin it and would force her to become more of a 
light on society than she already is, because obviously a real commitment between the two of them is unthinkable. Well, and it it is a matter for her reputation. So the, the issue would be if he wanted to take her as his mistress, it'd right. be fine for him. But like if she, she were would, to be his mistress, that would really ruin basically her daughter's place in society. But he even says she'd make a terrible mis- mistress for him because she's infamous. That too. Like for him, a, a appropriate mistress is the kind of person that society never even realizes is. Yeah. And she obviously is never able to slide into the background. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we have to talk about Beth Chuba more because I, I just love her so much. She's such a great character. They both um, are. They, they, they both really so are. Um, the thing, the thing, I, I don't know if this is a, this might be a trope, in that she is, she's like beautiful. She's like absolutely gorgeous. At this, in, at this point in the book, she's like 34, and she still like stops men in their tracks. Yes. She's 32, uh, by the way. 32. Excuse me. <laughs> And um, she she is also basically the only member of the dreadful Delucies who tries to be who is trying to live on the right side of the law. Right. And interestingly, for all of the scandal that her seducing this aristocrat when she was 16, mind you, has caused. In their relationship, he was sort of the fly by the seat of his pants, emotional one, and she was the practical down to earth. Oh no! And she says that when his family basically said, "If you marry her, we'll disown you," she was the one who was like, "Okay, we'll break it off. It's not worth you losing everything for me." And he was the one who insisted. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's just really, it's just really good. I just really like it. Um, Perfect. so they're on a road trip. This does mean that there are a lot of times where they need to have a nice nice fake relationship to get a room at the end. Right. Uh, and she also, therefore it does mean they're, they have fake identities, but for the sake of the proprietors of the inn, not to each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wouldn't say there's really a fake identity trope. No, I, and I didn't put that on the trope list, but they are yeah. pretending she makes up some, identities for them that are hilarious which is why I wanted to bring it up love them love them um he does walk in on her while she's taking a bath so while they obviously are only given one room due to the fact that they're masquerading as a married couple he does the gentlemanly thing and sleeps with a servant but that means that you know when he needs to get away from the servants quarters his only recourse is to go into the room where she is and if she happens to be bathing, oh no. Mm-hmm. Because they can't keep their hands off each other. Yeah, that's that's basically it. It's perfect. So he has meddling parents who we've seen in the previous two books. The, the parents are trying to get all five of their children, well, the four who are currently unwed, settled down. And in this case, it sounds like it's it's more of a matchmaking father than a matchmaking mother, though. Yes. And he plays the most, the largest role, I would say, in this book. In the other books, he, he's definitely like a background player. And in this one, he actually steps to the forefront, which I really enjoy. Yes. So, and really it is, fun. the twist is very much what you expect from a loving parent. But it's still really fun. And Benedict's 
confrontations with his father are very fun. Oh my God. They're so funny. So funny. Really funny. And she also fits as a, so this, he's like the aristocrat with the pushy but loving family. And she's the fallen noble woman now serving others in her nobility. So she works as an art teacher. Yes. To sort of make ends meet since her, definitely since her husband's passing, it's kind of unclear. She may have done it prior to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They both are widows. So he's a widower. She's a widow. Um, But the public perception of their relationships with their spouses, their dead spouses is really opposite to what the relationships really were, which I, I really liked that Mm -hmm. a lot actually in this book because a lot of times you have either both of them most of the time in romance novels even if they were married before they were not in love right it was a marriage of convenience or it was one of them was tricked into getting married or whatever most of the time the woman's like never had an orgasm with another man Right. Uh, which is just really annoying. I mean, I say this, and one of my favorite books by Loretta Chase is Mr. Impossible, and this trope happens there, where mm-hmm. there's a there's a widow who, you know, thought she loved her husband, but really he was terrible. Uh, but in this book, um, Bathsheba was, was desperately in love with her husband. Well, and I think what also is interesting about the, the change in dynamics is she ran away at 16 with another young person. They were madly in love. Their marriage was a scandal, but they were in love and happy. Mm-hmm. Whereas he had this very upright society marriage, good family, sister of a friend. Yep. Mm-hmm. At an appropriate age, but it was very much a society machination, not anything built on feeling. Exactly. Yeah. And they both are in the care of precocious children. As I mentioned, the kids felt very tropey. That said, surprisingly, I liked them. Yeah, that this was one of my big questions for Lane, because you guys know Lane doesn't love kids, especially not in romance novels. Well, she doesn't love fictional kids in romance novels. (laughs) She loves real kids in real life. But um I so I was wondering what she, how she was going to feel about um, Lyle and Olivia. I liked them because they were old enough to be real people. Yeah. Like it wasn't some precocious five-year-old making observations. It was like a boy going off to what the equivalent of high school and a girl who was a year younger. They were, they met because they were fascinated in Egyptology, which like, plus points in my book and their little adventure is the impetus for the parents adventure mm-hmm. rather than them being like a distraction away from the love story mm-hmm. that felt really ham-fisted in the little snippets of them and what the parents were expecting they were doing versus what they were doing actually did add an element of humor yeah yeah I mean this book this book is just so funny this book is really funny and really well written Yes. I mean, Loretta Chase is a phenomenal writer, and that's usually my favorite thing about her books. Mm -hmm. The meat cute in this one is that they are both at the British Museum in the Egyptian wig, seeing Belzoni's recent acquisition, so you know I'm already in love. And they spy each other from across across the room, and they're like, oh my god, potty alert. But, because it's proper times, 
they can't speak to each other because they haven't been introduced until the children they are escorting to the exhibit cause a scene in the middle of the room. Mm-hmm. And therefore they must engage to break it up. Yes. But even then, um, Bathsheba is trying so hard to be proper that as soon as he introduces himself, which is a very improper thing to do, she's yes. like, we're out of here. Goodbye. And they take off. And he's like, what just happened? <laughs> she also knows that he is too seductive to, to look at. And for their safety, she should flee. Yes, both. I mean, the thing is, too, if if he had been someone who she who was in her sphere, she might she might have stuck around to chat. Mm-hmm. But um, she knew that it just wasn't going to happen. And, of course, he figures out who she is because there just happens to be a woman of their mutual acquaintance in the room who is willing to spill all the tea to him on site. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, to- I mean, let's be honest. This would totally happen. Oh, yeah. You know? I, I loved it. I loved it all. Uh, so, basically, it's like instant attraction between the two of them. He knows that he shouldn't go and seek her out, and yet he, he does. Because his ward, Lord Lyle, um, can't draw. He's a very poor draftsman. And Olivia, so that's Bathsheba's daughter, has already decided that these these men are marks. She's going to get some money out of them. <laughs> like, that's, that's what Olivia did. So she, like, slips yes. Lyle her mother's card and says, my mom does drawing lessons. And because Benedict can't stay away from her, he's like, okay, fine, I'll go. He, the, and what I, it's one of the things I love about this book is how wishy-washy he is. Mm-hmm. Because he goes to see her and he's like, yeah, this, it's not going to work. So he sends her a letter through his solicitor saying, I know we talked about maybe doing lessons, but nah, not, not going to work. Mm-hmm. But then he goes back again and he's like, ugh. You're just such a good artist that I can't deny Lyle the opportunity of studying with you. Also, I need to buy your art. <laughs> he's so unsubtle. It's so good. And, but he's like fighting against it. And the thing is, too, is like she's fighting against it, too. But they can't. Neither of them can fight hard enough. And I think that's what I like so much about this book. Is this that is very... Yeah. It's a good combination of them making choices and, like, fate moments. Yeah. Like, yeah, he tracks her down. Yeah, he goes to help her find a place to live. But they also happen to bump into each other on the street at least once. Like, it's a it's a really good... And then, obviously, the kids getting in trouble together sort of forces their hand. Like, they keep trying to resist. And then they randomly stumble upon each other. And then, whoops, they make out. And then they successfully avoid each other for days. But then the kids disappear. And it's like, yeah, no, this is meant to be. Just yeah. stop fighting it. It's, it's one of the ones where I really believe that they're trying to fight this attraction. Like, I really feel like they're really attracted to each other. And not only that, I mean, if she were just... It basically is like, if she were just beautiful it it would be super easy to resist but the fact is that they are so compatible and they know it and it's perfect like whenever they have a conversation like they're the funniest conversations too like so well written really funny um you understand like a lot of times I feel that 
most authors, I'm not just talking about romance authors, I'm talking about authors in general, when they write dialogue, it can be hard between books to differentiate between the, the characters, you know? Mm-hmm. And in this book, I feel like you get a really good sense that Bathsheba and Benedict have the same sense of humor and they just talk to each other really well. Yep. And it's different than like the way Rupert and Daphne talk to each other. It is. You know, I don't know. I just, I really like how individual her characters are. And it was really obvious in this one because not only do you have Lord Hardgate, the father, playing a more prominent role than he has previously, but Rupert and Daphne appear. They talk about some of the other brothers. So the, the need for distinct characters was at a premium and she really delivered. Mm-hmm. Just, just really good. So, and he even thinks, he even has a moment where he thinks about it because he thinks about her mind or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like, why am I thinking about this woman's mind? I should be thinking about her figure because she's hot, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Benedict. And then he says things to that effect to her too. Uh-huh. Well, and she's even like, really? You're interested in me because of my mind? And he's like, look, I didn't say it was rational. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. And that's what makes it perfect. So good. So good. I mean, look. <laughs> It's just really good. My other favorite thing, so obviously, like we said, the conflict is that they come from so different, such different places and levels of respect in society. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, her previous husband had given up everything to be with her. Mm-hmm. And she started started to question why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honestly, like not in the sense of they weren't happy because she felt like they really were, but because she sort of comes to understand what he walked away from. Mm-hmm. Yes, because she never really understood before. And I like that in the end, as they're trying to resolve the fact that they've become so attached to one another with the fact that their lives are so incompatible with one another's, at least in terms of what they believe society's perception to be, that I actually wasn't sure how they were going to end up together. In mm-hmm. the sense of, like, of course, I knew they were. It's a romance novel. But like, I didn't necessarily believe that he was going to be willing to give up everything for her but that actually made me like him more yeah well we have talked about this we actually talked about this in the first book miss wonderful Mm -hmm. um about what one of the things we liked so much about it was the reason she falls in love with him is like because of how honorable he is you know and mm-hmm. it's the same thing here. Like part of the reason they are so compatible and part of the reason she does fall for him is because he, he does take life seriously. Um, you know, uh, and in fact, we talked about this when we talked about Barry R as well. <laughs> yeah. But like, he's not a reluctant heir. He loves his family. He loves his land. He loves his people. He's prominent in parliament. He has causes that he's advocating for. There are a lot of people that would be hurt if he just absconded on his responsibilities. And no matter how enamored and in love with her he is, I like that as the reader, I'm not sure Mm -hmm. whether he could have walked away from all that or not. Yeah. Well, and it's there, there, I could see someone being disappointed that he doesn't have to make that choice depending on the reader, but I really liked the ending and how it worked out. Honestly. I did too because it wasn't without like the spoiler free version of it is it wasn't just oh here's an easy solution it was oh here's an easy solution that empowered her mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I liked it. And I mean, you know, okay. So you know that Lane and I love Rupert and Daphne. They do make a little bit of a cameo here, which I, which I love. I mean, yes, could have been anyone else, but I still love that it was Rupert and Daphne. Oh no, this was totally just the fan service cameo though. Oh, Not the totally. actual character development cameo. Oh, absolutely. And I don't even care. Like I am a fan. I was <laughs> Yes. So thanks. Thank you, Loretta Chase. Um, we have talked about this before, but this book is hilarious. The book is really, really funny. Their conversations are hilarious. Lord Lysel and Olivia's interactions are hilarious. Yeah. Olivia as this like tiny con is oh, yeah. so much fun. <laughs> she's she's really funny. One of the things I like, and we've talked about, again, we've talked about this before. One of the things Loretta Chase is really good at is being um, historically accurate and of the time. And one of the things that happens in this book is that they start a riot. Yep. <laughs> and the constable comes out and actually reads the riot act. <laughs> yep. And it is so funny it's so funny how it happens it's so hilarious um in the moment it's hilarious how they get out of it and then afterwards like the aftermath of it everything it's about it it's, it's, it's all perfect. perfect and hilarious and laugh out loud funny it's so funny and so then the other part that like literally I laugh actually out loud every time I read it there's a part where she he makes an entrance and she wants him to be incognito. And he comes in like the least Lord Perfect way ever. Mm-hmm. He comes in like dressed in his valet's clothes that don't fit him. Because he's dressed in his valet's clothes, he has to come in through the servant's entrance. One of the servants is talking smack about her. So he gets really pissed off and he starts a fight <laughs> in the house. <laughs> And it's so good. He like runs out there. He like throws this other servant like through the wall, like into a vase that's like smashes. And then she calls him to save his reputation. She pretends that he is her imbecile brother, Derek. (laughs) Well, and the best part is like, they're in this house for a pretty long time. So it ends up like obviously unraveling. I loved it so much. Oh my God, it is so funny. And then also the way he gets recognized is because of the way he brawls. Basically this guy, he's like, hmm, this reminds me of Rupert Carstington throwing (laughs) throwing a dude across the stable yard. (laughs) And it's brought up a ton that Benedict and Rupert look very alike. Yes. So it was very, very perfect. Okay, so we loved a lot about this book. It was super sexy. It was super funny. The characters were great. What offended you about this book? Um, I mean, honestly, I personally am not offended by this book. That said, I think that there are some, there are certain phrases that, so like we said, Loretta Chase writes dialogue that is of the time. Mm-hmm. That does mean that sometimes it can be racist or offensive and I think she tries her best to not do that but Mm -hmm. they there are several times where they use the word gypsy in the way it would have been used at the time so for example Bathsheba says she she wishes that she had sold 
uh, Olivia to gypsies as a, as a joke. Right. Um, or another time she says, we need to run off to the continent, continent to live like gypsies. Um, and I do realize that this is, this is something that I think a lot of people don't, I think it's becoming more known as something that's offensive. And so perhaps in 2005, it wasn't as well known when this was written. Right. But I mean, I'm not, I don't want to excuse Loretta Chase for that. Absolutely. I think I definitely noted that. And then the only other thing I'd say, and it's a little more of a trigger warning, is that she references having had several miscarriages in the past. Mm. And the way it's presented, she clearly blames herself. And that's not really challenged in the text. Yeah. So just something to be aware of if it's a sensitive topic for you. It does come up and it's not exactly presented in the most sensitive or empowering way. Yeah. And again, I I do think it goes a little bit back to the whole this is written as though it were of the time. Right. But again, absolutely. again, that doesn't mean that it's going to be any easier for you to read, especially right. if this affects you personally. So um, the sexiness. I mean, this book, this book is Loretta Chase sexy, which means that the sex is well written, pretty sexy, but it also furthers the character development. In my opinion. Yeah, and, and the sexiest sex scenes are when they're still working through some stuff. The mm -hmm. sex scenes, when they've kind of come to terms with their situation, are a little less explicit. Because yeah. I think Loretta Chase does write her sex scenes primarily for character development. That's not a complaint, just an observation. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. I also want to point out that we talk a lot about how sexy things become less sexy when we don't like the characters. And I think this is a situation where a book that maybe I would have said was moderately sexy became way sexier because of how much I liked the characters and the way they interacted with each other. And sexy times were just an extension of that really like high level compatibility. Yeah. So, I mean, here's an example of a conversation that they have after they have sex. I think the first time. Um, and they're both basically saying like, okay, this, this can be the only time we have to stay away from each other, but they're both like, it's going to be really hard. Stay away from each other, you know, given that we're traveling alone yeah. together. And so she says, uh, so here's, here's the line. We are too compatible. She said, that is the trouble improbable as it is. That is true. He said, I like your company almost as much as I liked your face and figure. That is a shocking development. Certainly. <laughs> I mean, it's just, and again, this is something too, that I think Lane and I really like is that is when they're really honest with each other. Yes. And like, yeah, they're being funny about it. But this is also basically the truth. Like both of them are saying, look, we don't want to be in this relationship with each other, but it really like more than you. that. Like we don't want anything complicated. She's mm -hmm. trying to restore her good name. He makes his trade on being a paragon. Mm -hmm. They both know that whatever the other is, it's not unobtrusive. Yes. So it doesn't matter how into each other they are. They don't fit into each other's plan at all. Yeah. And I would just like to point out that, yes, this first scene happens after he walks in on her in the bath. Um, I have said before, I'm sure I will say it again. I don't care if you give me subtlety in your romance novel. God, so no, I like love it that her name is Bathsheba and he totally walks in on her in the bath. That is awesome. <laughs> I love that, too. So basically, we just really like this book. Highly recommend it. Highly recommend. 
And I mean, yes, if you want to read the whole series, we would not stop you from doing that. Yeah, I would definitely say these books all function very well as standalones. There's not as much interconnectedness in plot lines or even character development as I'm used to in a lot of other series. But you should still read these in order because they're good. I mean, honestly, the only character who really gets much continuity or development is Lord Hargate. But his character doesn't change from book to book. In all the books, he's just working to get his sons married off. Yes. In each book, he does a different thing to achieve that. But I don't think you learn anything by having read the previous books. I don't think you learn anything. The one thing I would say is I do think his involvement becomes a little more... Mm, what is, what am I, what's the word? Direct? Well, it's direct here. I have read some criticism of this book where people were like, I don't get it. What was the deal with Lord Hargate in the end? Why did he show up? So I feel like if you've read the other books, this is more of a payoff for you. Okay. That's all. That's the only thing I'm saying. Like, so the parents scheming. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. If I hadn't read the others, I wouldn't have known from the beginning that they were scheming. Yeah. You'd be like, uh, okay. Okay. That's all. Um, so, I, again, I do recommend that you read them in order. You probably don't have to. Correct. So, as always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we would love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe.